and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude, a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton. I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer and custodian of a brain that doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. Now, I created this podcast because I have mental health conditions and unlike my wardrobe or teenage haircuts, I don't see anything to be ashamed about. Now, I've been diagnosed with anorexia, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, bulimia, bipolar disorder, it's worth saying twice because it's got two parts, compulsive overeating disorder, depression, psychotic hallucinations and obsessive compulsive disorder. And if I had to rank them in order of preference, it might be a sign of another disorder, so I'm trying to avoid that. A mental illness can cause great pain and part of this show is how to talk about it. People with these conditions are already suffering, so let's not make the discussion miserable as well. Let's get positive. In this podcast, we are focusing on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness. So you're very welcome. Now, Positive Mental Attitude podcast is only possible thanks to our lovely, lovely sponsor, Stagecoach Group. If you've seen a stagecoach vehicle go by and said to yourself, I bet they don't care about mental health, firstly, you'd be weird, and secondly, you'd be wrong, and we're the proof. So well done, Stagecoach. Ignore what these fictional weirdos say about you. And why not tweet them at Stagecoach Group to congratulate them on how lovely and caring they are about mental illness. Now, joining me this episode is Johnny Benjamin, mental health campaigner, author and vlogger and MBE. He's got actual like letters after his name, which makes him the closest I've come so far to interviewing the Queen. So, Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, could you tell us a bit about the diagnosis that you have? Mm, sure. So uh, when I was 20, I was diagnosed with uh, schizoaffective disorder, which is like a combination of schizophrenia, bipolar um, so that was when I was 20, I'm 31 now. And um, when I was first diagnosed, I I was in a really bad place. Um, I just dropped out of university. Um, I've been unwell for a number of years. Uh, I, I was um, delusional, uh, paranoid, uh, very depressed. And <laughs> it, was, it was a big shock. It was a massive shock to me to get that diagnosis. Uh, I knew something wasn't right. You know, so there was something there that wasn't wasn't right. But when the psychiatrist sat down and said, "You've got this diagnosis," uh, for me it was like the end of the world. It really was the end of the world. Um, yeah, I was I was so ashamed and embarrassed. Then I was put straight into this psychiatric hospital, and uh, literally my world just turned upside down. Um, and um, I spent the next few years. Uh, um, lost really lost I think with that diagnosis and that kind of label and it wasn't until my mid-20s when um it was it was actually someone said to me um I think we were in a in a, in a therapy group someone said to me you know why do you say uh I'm depressed or why do you say I'm schizophrenic you know you'd never say um I'm cancer or I'm heart disease you say you know I have cancer or I have heart disease and I just hearing that from this person really made me think um and it allowed me some sort of separation from that that sort of label. Um, so yeah. that was a really sort of pivotal moment for me. I often find it very odd that when I say oh, I became anorexic, it sounds like it was a choice. It yeah. sounds like it was a career move almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, I became a lawyer. Yeah. I became anorexic. Like no, it's yeah. it, it it it's a, an illness that yeah, absolutely. You're more than that, and you're more than that, and that's what I think uh, is often missing. Well, that's what I certainly felt when I was given my diagnosis, it was like, you've got this and that's it. We don't know what's going to happen. You, you, you're going to be unwell, basically, for the rest of your life, medicated. And uh, no one ever said, you know, well, you know, the, the sky's still the limit, you know, the, the world is your oyster. No one ever said that. Um, Did it feel like it was just this is it? You're on yeah. the, your fringes on the, out, you're an out, outcast. Did it feel like yeah. that's what they were uh, saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, um, especially being in a in a hospital environment or the hospital environment that I was in, it was just it, it was just it was really sort of bleak, really bleak, because um, everyone felt the same way that there was a lack of hope and um, yeah. I mean, I've been to I went to a hospital actually in in Grimsby uh, a few years ago through the work that I do and. In this hospital, you know, they have uh, actual, actual colour on the walls of the hospital, which was great, like positive quotes in places. Um, 
And it made a difference. It made such a difference. People ha- had hope. You know, the, the environment, I think, in which you're, you're in, it, it, it doesn't make such a difference. This is, this is why we're doing this podcast, mm. is because for me, I, I don't think it is this, this horrible, awful thing if you get diagnosed. Mm. It's, this, it's an invitation to learn so much more about what it means to be a human. Absolutely, yeah. And Absolutely. actually, mental illness can teach you so much, which we're getting to get on uh, later on about the lessons you've learned. Mm. Um, so you were diagnosed fairly early like you were late late teens early 20s was that mm, right that's right well I first well my, my, my I guess symptoms started really young um my parents took me to see a, a child psychologist really young when I was about four or five um because I was I was seeing things that weren't there and hearing things that weren't there and um I was very anxious and quite violent so it started very young um but I through my teens when it got really bad I hid I hid most of what was going on because uh, again because of this embarrassment and the shame and you know I was doing well in school I did well in my GCSEs and, and my A levels and I had good prospects and I wanted people just to see that I didn't want people to see the side of me that was really struggling so um, I kept it all to myself as much as I could um, uh, but ultimately I, I I had this massive breakdown at university and became psychotic and. Um, that was it. When I became psychotic, uh, I had to go into hospital and, and then I got that diagnosis. And yeah, for me, because growing up, um, when I was in school, we didn't talk about mental health. And the only thing that we got was uh, when I was about 17, they showed us a one floor of the cuckoo's nest in school one day. Yeah, they showed that to us Did as well. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that film is just, it's, it's hopeless, isn't it? It's really yeah. hopeless. There's no... You know, there's no positive that comes out of it. I mean, it's it's a, it's obviously it's it's brilliant acting and the storyline is is very powerful. Yeah. But uh, so there's there's the cinema aspect of it, yeah. and then there's the the uh, portrayal of mental illness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But seeing that as the only sort of reference growing up, I mean, that's that scared me. It scared me, and it put me off. It put me off talking. And um, yeah, I just uh, I wish I wish looking back, someone would have come into our school, or I'd have seen something which had a more positive kind of portrayal of of mental health um because there was nothing back then there really there really wasn't i still feel that there's there's quite a lot of um uh victorian kind of attitudes towards mm. um being hospitalized or um the the idea of an asylum and mm. um often when i'm performing uh my comedy and i'm talking about being in a, in a hospital or being sectioned under the mental health act yeah. which i which i was when i was 17 yeah People almost have this morbid fascination with it. Yeah. Like, actually, it's not glamorous. It's no. it's quite uh, yeah. well. It's it's unique as an experience, yeah. but it's um, yeah. It's it's not certainly not one through flew over the cuckoo's nest. No, no, absolutely not. No, and I think um, that's something that we're missing actually, in terms of uh, like Hollywood or you know, we're still not there yet in terms of mental health. You know, the portrayals. I think we've got a long way to go. But you have a schizoaffective disorder, which is a combination of different mm. conditions. Is that that's yeah, right? That's right. Yeah. Is it annoying having a rarer condition than say depression, um, which maybe people know roughly yeah. what depression is or anxiety? Do you? No one assumes that they have any knowledge about schizoaffective disorder. Or do they let you explain it? Yeah, that's a really good question because. I think it's becoming more and more known about. Not as much as depression, obviously. Depression, anxiety, OCD to an extent, bipolar. Uh, they are much more widely known about and, and, and talked about. But schizoaffective, no. Um, and schizophrenia in particular is still so stigmatised, you know. Um, I still hear people saying, you know, oh, he's so schizophrenic or she's schizophrenic, like the kind of split personality thing. And I'm, I was sitting in a theatre... Uh, I can't remember a few years ago now and there was a guy behind the, the the show was about to start and the guy behind was like oh my boss is so schizo you know one minute she's this the next she's this and like going on and on about it and I was sitting there with my parents and I was desperate to turn around and be like no that's not what schizophrenia is have you ever done um, that have you ever con- confronted somebody I'm not brave enough, which is, it's not very, I'm not brave enough, I don't think. You could. My I, therapist says I can always swap the word <laughs> ah, could for the word should. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could. I, I've done it, I've done it before. There really? was a, There was a guy talking about, oh, she should be in a straitjacket. She should be locked up in an asylum. And it was in my local curry house. Wow. And I was waiting for my takeaway because I've learned that eating is a good thing to do now. <laughs> and um, and I did actually go up to him and thought, I'm, ne- I'm never going to see him wow. again. The number of times I want to do this, wow. I may as well. Good and. 
yeah, actually, it was, I just went up to him and wow. went for it and just told him, this is, I've, I've been oh. sectioned and maybe maybe somebody who's overhearing you or maybe a youngster might hear yeah. you and, and be... Uh, have a different view. Um, and what was his what was his response? He immediately started to apologise. I think really? yeah, it's so British, and he was yeah. Yeah, he was very lovely, and um, actually asked me questions, which I really? appreciated. That's really good, and, um, and that will that will have a ripple effect because I'm sure he'll then, you know, maybe tell someone, oh, this happened in the restaurant, and and uh, educate other people. Really, I think it has a ripple effect. So, have you found that what you've done has had a ripple effect? Because you've you've obviously got a quite a loudspeaker now. You are you speak publicly you've done all kinds of things like finding mike for mm. channel four and like how have you found the the responses to people to, for you talking about your condition usually positive yeah usually really positive um <laughs> the only thing sometimes is online online that's where sometimes um i had a <laughs> i had an argument with piers morgan <laughs> Uh, You're my um, new favourite person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know that about you. I, congratulations. Wow, thanks. I mean, but the thing is, you can never win an argument with Piers Morgan. But I had an argument with him about schizophrenia because um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Nelson Mandela's funeral, um, there was a interpreter and he was uh, doing the sign language and he was getting it all wrong. And uh, he was yeah signing all the wrong all the wrong things. And afterwards, it transpired that he had schizophrenia and uh, he was going through a really difficult, difficult time. And then anyway, Piers Morgan found out about this and he tweeted, you know, why is someone with schizophrenia uh, standing so close to all our world leaders at Nelson Mandela's funeral? And I read that and I was like, I can't stay silent about that. It's easier online to to kind of, I don't know if I could do it in person, but online, I, I really went for him because I was like, you know, that's... Where have you got that from? You know, and he was like, "Well, people with schizophrenia are more violent than than." Um, and he quoted some rubbish. And um, yeah, we went into this long Twitter, and I got some really horrible, horrible things sent back to me. You know, um, there was one guy. I laugh about it now, but there was one guy that was like, "I wouldn't even let you look after my dog," you know, um, wow. because of your diagnosis. You know, this schizophrenia element, and that that was really interesting. That was really interesting. But yeah, of course, people online are. Uh, sometimes we'll say things that, you know, in person they would never say. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting, interesting. Is that the most common misconception that you receive as people people thinking that you're definitely going to be violent? Because mm. Yeah, dangerous or violent or um, uh, just not, um, not good to be around, essentially. Um, that's that's the usual perception. Yeah, yeah. Violent, dangerous, homeless. That's another one that. And just often... to clear up, if anyone out there is thinking that that is the case, uh, that's absolutely not the case, no, is it? No. no, 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 not no, not at all, not at all, not at all. How no. do you feel about the? Because um, I got I get very um, passionately angry um and i i used to be scared of anger now i know that actually it's a mo it can be yeah. a motivation for, for a good thing, positive yeah. change absolutely um but things like the um headlines uh portraying uh depression yeah. you know, people saying that people who have mental illness are more um more likely to be violent and how do you feel about about the misconceptions that are perpetuated in the media yeah it, it concerns me i mean the only time that you do hear usually about something like schizophrenia is when there's been when there's been something that's happened a violent crime or something something bad's gone wrong particularly related to violence and my i don't know if i'm being too sort of my worry is you know because often you'll you'll hear oh um so and so court case and so and so um his, his lawyer his lawyer says he has schizophrenia sometimes i worry that you know maybe people add that label on as a kind of get out clause if that makes sense mm. um we'll just say that person's got schizophrenia because it's associated with violence schizophrenia violence schizophrenia violence and i don't think the media helps with that at all i mean i, I every day i meet people well not every day but like i've met a lot of people with schizophrenia that are out there uh, living working functioning and you never get to hear about any of them in the media the only time that the media really focuses on on um schizophrenia is when something bad has happened mm. i just wish because, yeah, I mean, if there's been some amazing people out there, Dr. Ellen Sachs, Professor John Nash, all these people out there living with schizophrenia, 
or diagnosis of uh, yeah, schiz- some sort of schizophrenia, and they've done amazing, amazing things, but you never get to hear about them, which is which is such a shame. If anyone's listening, wondering if they have schizoaffective disorder, uh, Rethink Mental Illness have very kindly given us uh, a little bit of information. Uh, schizoaffective disorder is a mental illness that can affect your thoughts, mood, and behaviour. You may have symptoms of bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. These symptoms may be mania, depression, and psychosis. About one in two hundred people develop schizoaffective disorder at some time during their life. It tends to develop during early adulthood and is more common in women than men. So you're super special. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I actually am very excited speaking to you because I have had experience of hallucinations myself. And I very rarely meet anybody else who has had those experiences. So when when did you said you first experienced seeing things that other people weren't seeing or Mm. hearing things other people weren't hearing when you were as young as four or five? Mm. Did that is that something that was consistent in your life or no? It's weird. So uh, my very first experiences uh, relate to uh, Roald Dahl's The BFG. I, I mean, I didn't know that then, but I know that now. So when I was three, four, um, a family friend of ours bought VHS, VHS uh, video cassette. Of the BFG, of Roald Dahl's BFG. Do you remember there was an animated version yeah, of the BFG? I loved it. Did you? Or... Yeah, with Sophie with the red hair. Yeah, yeah, and... yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Um, so, family friend bought that for me. I think it was one Christmas, it's and I watched it. Scary. It was. It really. It, it scared the life out of me. Um, and after I saw that film, uh, I didn't. I didn't sleep properly, and then I began to see what I thought was the BFG. I began to see uh, hooded figures, I remember. I began to hear things that weren't there. Um, always at night, uh, people breaking into the house. And um, this is why my parents took me to see a child psychologist, because I stopped going to bed, basically, because I was too scared. So you weren't sleeping at that time? I wasn't sleeping, no. Uh, it was awful. But yeah, that, those are my early kind of, I guess, sort of hallucinations, I'd call them. But when I was um, 10, that's when... So when I was 10, I started to hear what I thought was the voice of an angel. So that's when kind of the auditory sort of hallucination started. But (laughs) I just thought that this was um, normal and this was something that everyone had. I thought, yeah, we just all had a sort of voice character that we carried around with us. And I I liked uh, because I come from a Jewish background and... um, I was really kind of influenced by my faith. I was I was into my faith and I thought this was great. I was I was I was sort of I had an angel that was that was with me that was talking to me and it was it was great. But it changed in my mid-teens when that voice changed into more of a sinister voice. It began to sort of command me to do things. Um and I then fell into this pattern of having to do things uh, in threes. I'd have to do things in threes. So the voice would say, usually it was actually, I'd have to say things three times. Uh, certain things, it would say, um, if you don't say this, I'm going to punish you. Or if you don't touch this three times, I'm going I'm to do something to you, your family. And that's when it became really, really tough to live with, really tough. But I felt I had to do the things it was telling me to do, or I would be punished. Yeah, but I didn't talk about it, because I... I I was scared. I thought, having seen one floor of the cuckoo's nest, you know, I thought, oh, well, if I say what's going on, I'm going to be locked up. I kept it to myself. But then I, I fell into a kind of a, a kind of real psychosis um, when I was uh, in university, and I believed that I was being possessed. I literally, felt like there was something inside of me that was sort of controlling me. And I went onto the streets, and I was screaming, shouting. I thought the devil was inside of me and I was speaking words that um it's so it's so strange because to this day like it's not my words you know what I mean it's like I someone I do know what you yeah. mean I, I will tell you about why I know yeah. what you mean in a bit carrying on though. No it just when I look back and I'm I can place myself back there I was on a ugh, I was in the middle of a dual carriageway um screaming and shouting these these phrases and it's 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 so strange because they're not, it's not me. It's it's not my word. I would never come up with those words. <sighs> me today sitting here as the person I am now, do you know what I mean? I would never, it's, it's, it, it still feels like it was, yeah, it wasn't me. It was kind of a, pff, just a very strange experience and, and not a nice experience, a very, a very difficult uh, experience. Um, what sense do you make of it now when you look back on it? Um, do you, I've got so, so many things I want to, mm. I want to contribute to the conversation, but um, I, I'm wondering when you tell yourself, when you look back at that, what, what, 
What narrative do you tell yourself of that? Well, when I look back now, and I've been psychotic again, you know, I can see it's 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 the brain. It's, it's, there's something in my mind that's that's happened that's that's triggered this. And and actually, last time I was psychotic was was last year, um, and that was due to uh, a lot of stress. And again, when I I think the psychosis is always triggered by stress, and and so I make sense of it in that way. Actually, not just stress, insomnia. Insomnia is a big. It's a big thing as well. I think the two of them combined. Actually, there's another drink, too much drink and alcohol, because that really, yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah, not good for me. But yeah, I think particularly the stress and the insomnia. I know. I mean, within just a few days, it's quite, it's quite scary when I think about it. You know, in just a few days, it can really flip. You know, if I if I stop sleeping properly, uh, if if the stress builds up, things can turn. Yeah, pretty 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 quickly, and I can go into. So the last time I was psychotic, I was. I was um, I was on the Truman Show. I, I I had the Truman delusion growing up, where I thought I was on the Truman Show. And last year, when I was psychotic, I went back into it, and it was so scary because I was convinced I was again. I was on the streets shouting, "You know, you're not real. You're not real. I'm in this TV show. Get me out!" And again, it, looking back, it's I I see it as you know something in in the brain and the mind. It just it all becomes too much. It's it's too overwhelming, and yeah, uh, my therapist says, um, you know, it's not your fault. It's 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 actually a natural reaction to kind of this massive buildup of stress, and actually you're trying to sort of escape. So the Truman thing is being on the Truman Show. You know, growing up was my like sort of escape from from the real world. And he says, you know, you go back into that because that's that's your escape. You're trying to make sense of it. You know, you're uh, you're <sighs> survival mechanism. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, my so when I when I was sectioned mm. because it was so such a heightened stress my body weight sure. was so low that my my brain just said no I'm not having any of this I'm I'm out of here I'm checking yeah. out because I couldn't cope with the amount of stress and uh, I I saw yeah I I I I thought that the devil was um, penetrating me sure um, and I thought that the shadows in the room like out of ghost um, like, you know the, the film Ghost yeah. where the shadows were coming to life and pinning yeah, me down sure. and, and um, there was a point where I was like singing singing operatically at 3am in the morning because wow. I was convinced that the higher I sung the closer to God I would wow. get and being a good uh, Church of England girl yeah. to, that seemed to have make sense to me and I remember at the time thinking this is absolutely this is making this is perfect sense why is everyone around me lying to me about mm. why these things aren't mm. aren't real or aren't happening and I saw I saw um, nice things. There were nice experiences within those hallucinations, like um, like a woman who was sat next to me, next to my bed, was reading from the Bible, and she was this lovely big black lady and just so calming and so mm. warm and so loving. Mm. And I got so agitated and angry when I I was asking the other nurses, "Where was where's the black nurse?" Because yeah, I really wanted sure. to chat to her. She was she was reading Gosh. from the Bible. I, can she come back? And they were like, "No, no, she's, there was no one here. There's no one here." Mm. Nowadays, I, I from what I've the little I've read, and I could read more. That's just my general <laughs> note for life. Yeah, uh, mine too. <laughs> but I I understand that I've heard that that delusions, whether they're whether they're from dementia or from psychosis. The best way for somebody outside of those that experience to um, to help that person mm. through it is to help them not not heighten their anxiety or heighten their yeah. stress yeah. by saying no. This is this is, it. this is it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, last time I was psychotic last year, I was with someone that was kind of instead of saying no, 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 this isn't happening, it's not there. It was like okay, okay, that's all right. So just really sort of trying to be calming and, mm. and gentle and patient. I think that's key as well is the patience because um, it's easy to get frustrated with the individual and say, oh, no, it's not happening. It's not there. And this is all in your head. But just just if you can be patient with that person and just hold the space, you know, as you would for any anything else, any other sort of um, health concern, health issue, you would you would hold the space for that person, let that person be. You know what I mean? Do you think that that advice of patients holding the space can apply for all mental health conditions whether depression or um, anorexia or yeah I think well this is just me but I I do I really do think so because uh, I've been in hospital a a few times and um, I I mean I don't want I'm not not trying to criticize but you know I just so often um, when you talk to 
clinicians or nurses. I mean, it's, it's behind a kind of a, a clipboard and, yeah, you know, it's like on a scale of one to ten, you know, how are you? And it just I just wish sometimes that they put the clipboard down and just kind of just really, you know, really just focus on you and and as well instead of saying you know have you got this or this or, or instead of putting almost words in your mouth actually just let that person be and let that person talk and it can take some time it can really take some time and again I've been in hospitals where time is 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 is, is really lacking and I've seen you know uh, clinicians get frustrated impatient you know come on just t- tell me or uh, come, come come on let's let's yeah I find that a, a shame because it's so hard to to to, to it's so hard. I think whatever mental health struggle it is, it's, it's hard to open up and to, to talk about your thoughts, your feelings. I mean, especially in this kind of for the British society that we live in, the kind of stiff upper lip. We're not used to, you know, we've got walls. We've got all these walls that we've built up over the years mm-hmm. to suddenly like be able to just sit down and just come out with it all is so tough. It's so, almost, almost seen as impolite to be too emotional. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So have, I just... Have you have you had anyone in your life, like we, I've asked all my guests on all of these episodes, um, is there one person or people, group of people who have helped you the most along your journey, your ongoing journey of recovery? I have to say, uh, <laughs> uh, talking about, you know, mental health system, the NHS, it's been people within... The mental health system that have, have, have helped me the most. Um, uh, mental health nurses, particular therapists, uh, psychiatrists, the psychiatrists I see now actually. Um, and it's always been, I think a lot of it's down to the the non-judgment side of it, the non-judgment and the, um, again, what you know, the being patient with someone, letting that person take their time and really be... Um, being positive, you know, last time I went back into hospital last year, uh, the first thing my psychiatrist said to me was, we're going to get you out of here, we're going to get you better. And that was amazing to hear that. I'd never heard uh, something like that when I'd gone into hospital. Because um, if they believe it, you know, then I can believe it as well. You know, when everyone around me is saying, you know, you'll get through this, you've done it before, you can do it again. Well, that's that's that, that that's, that's going to help me massively. But when people around me are saying... Like when I first went into hospital, you know, people were like, "We don't, we don't know, we just don't know." We d- can you imagine what that? You know what it's like to hear I that. I do, yeah, uh, I yeah. do. It's be almost written off. Yeah, you you need you need because you uh, well, from my experience, you know, I, you, I lose faith in myself or I lose faith in when I'm in a real dark place. I'm like, how how can I ever get out of this? So you need people around you to say, "You can, you can do this." And and those are the people. Those are the people that have helped me the most. Is the people that have said you know you're going to get through this and not given up on me not given up on me I think that's the key so positivity is a huge massive thing for you and your your mm, recovery massive coming back to your um your experiences with your uh when when it, with this first kind of heightened experience when you were at university I'm right in thinking that that led you to feeling suicidal mm, yeah do you do you think we talk enough about suicidal thoughts oh, no no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. In fact, I think, you know, uh, mental health, we're talking about mental health more and more, especially in the last few years. It's quite amazing, I think, the, the shift in, in the UK in particular uh, around talking about mental health. But when it comes to suicide, I still think that's quite a taboo. This is a positive podcast, talking about the positive aspects yeah. of mental health. But I think there is a positive way to talk about suicidal absolutely, thoughts. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, often the only time that we talk or, or hear about or see about suicide in like the media is 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 unfortunately when something uh some some tragedy has happened but again there are so many people out there living in in, in society who, who have overcome who have overcome suicidal thoughts feelings suicide attempts and again we don't hear enough about that having suicidal thoughts is not the same as acting out mm. so on suicidal thoughts so absolutely yeah 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 being yeah. able to talk about them i think is a strength and being able to hear to listen Absolutely, absolutely. And again, I think, you know, that comes down to a lot of, of patience and, and, and non-judgment. And I know for myself, you know, when I've been suicidal in the past, I've often gone to like Samaritans and I just know that I'll be met with someone who is able to hold the space and really listen and, and not judge. And and it's such a, it's such a, literally, it's a weight off, off, off my shoulders when I can finally say, look, I'm in this really dark place and I'm thinking of suicide and just to just to come out with those words it's just instant 
I mean, it, it doesn't take them away necessarily, but it's just an instant relief. You don't have to hold it all to yourself. and It's out of your head. It's it's in the ether. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that makes such a difference. Yeah, I, I, I do. I really think that it, people are scared of it. I think people are scared. People are scared of, well, suicide as, as, a, as a subject. But talking about suicidal thoughts and, and, and feelings, I think people are really scared to, to go there. And... I think that's a shame. In fact, you know, I, the last time that I was suicidal, I, 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 was, I was just, afterwards I was reflecting on it and I was just thinking, you know, why can't we treat this as no difference to like having a headache or a migraine? You know, when you've got a, particularly when you've got a migraine, you know, you, you, you say, oh, I can't, I've got to go home or, you know, I'm in a really, um, I've got to lie down or you, you, you tell people, you tell people, why can't we do that with our, you know, suicidal thoughts and feelings? Why can't we say, do you know what? I'm, I'm feeling suicidal. I, I just wish, and maybe one day in society we will, hopefully we will be able to just be honest and just say, but right now I think there is still quite a stigma attached to, to, to suicidal thoughts. Do you um, think it's worse for men than it is for women? Or Because I know, I think there's a big conversation about that right mm. now. If, can, I, I only know what it's like being a woman mm. and, and having suicidal thoughts, um, but I, I, I know that women were almost invited to open up more. Mm. With men, can you can you talk about it? Uh, I think it is harder. I think it is harder. I mean, from a young age, you know. I remember I was told, you know, man up. Because I was when I was really really small, I was very sensitive. I would cry a lot. Um, and when I was like three years old, four years old, uh, that was all right. Well, you know, that people would comfort me and say, oh, yeah. but when I got to around six, seven, eight years old, it was like, come on, Johnny, you know, stop the tears. You know, big boys don't cry, you know, man up. And I, I think a lot of boys go through that, you know, uh, the, the whole man up thing or I hate that term, big boys don't cry. It's, it's, it's really... Man really, up really annoys me too, yeah, especially as a yeah, feminist as well. It's like, yeah. why is manning up a sign of strength right? and being, fem- being crying is yeah, weak? Exactly. Why? No. It's, yeah, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. But we're still giving, we're still giving um, boys that, that message. And so when I started going through like real, really bad depression and uh, I was, I was very tearful, I would, I would never show that to anyone because, yeah, I thought it was a sign of weakness. You know, I was meant to be a man and, yeah, men men, men are strong and men aren't vulnerable. And uh, it took me a long time for, for my uh, mindset to change on that. So, again, yeah, I think that's something that we can... We can, we can change. We can we can we can change that by the way that we talk to the young boys, the young men of the next generation. It can really make a difference. Um, I I how do you find social media? Is it a help or a hindrance for you? I think both, to be honest. And I guess it depends what what frame of mind I'm in. Mm. But I do. I I actually think I think maybe the media has got a bit better, maybe about talking about mental health. But social media, I I I feel is. Um, there's just so much conflict. I, I, I find so much conflict and, and tension on, on social media, particularly on, on things like Twitter, uh, that the the arguments, the, the yeah, I, I, I find that really difficult. Um, Do you find there's also a network of people? Because it depends on how I yeah. use social media. Yeah. Sometimes I can use it to uh, seek out negative uh, mm. reinforcement, but I can also find use it to uh, to find my tribe. Oh, massively, massively. I think, you know, in terms of mental health support, I, I mean, it is quite amazing. Uh, the mental health community on, on social media is great. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't know if you remember the... Um, the uh, Halloween costume. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. The, was it um, Tesco Sainsbury's? Uh, as, as yeah, the mental patient. Mental patient ad. Yeah. And But, but the, the response on social media was phenomenal. Just everyone just kind of up in arms. Yeah. Um, and within a few hours, you know, the, the supermarkets was apologizing and saying we're going to donate money to mental health charities. And that was all through the power of the mental health community on social media, which is amazing. So there's a really strong, strong community um on online uh it's just yeah all the rest of the stuff online on, on social media that can be quite quite tricky at times um particularly in the current sort of political climate that we're living in with with things like brexit and all oh, the the and trump and it can be really yeah i do find it challenging and i do i i, I take a step back now also and I, I i've been trolled online on social media and that that's tough and i think after that experience it's made me a bit wary of, of social media, particularly Twitter. Uh, there's always a little bit of apprehension when I go on, when I post something. Uh, what's gonna, what are people going to respond to this? Because 
anyone can respond on something like Twitter, um, and you just don't know what you're going to get. And yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sensitive, and you know, like, and I try, you know, particularly when it comes to articles, I try not to read the comments. Yeah, there's always there's always something that I, I know, and uh, yeah, I always focus on that. You know, there could be a 99 positive uh, comments, but it's the one negative comment. Yeah, that I will focus on, and I'll just mill over again and again and again so and I just don't don't want that so I try and avoid it altogether oh you're talking preaching to the converted I, yeah. I um yeah being a comedian you get one negative review and that's the yeah. one thing that you're constantly looking at and I'm writing an article at the moment about mental health and comedy and huh. I'm struggling to write it because I'm I'm already writing my own comments on the <laughs> hey. on the footer of the article yeah um, that's hard it's really hard when you were trolled what how did you cope with that? Because uh, I had experience of trolling when I in 2015, yeah. and that was a baptism of fire of mm. learning how to manage my mental health and stay mentally healthy. Well, I, I didn't. I, I relapsed quite badly for about yeah. a week, and then found a way to find. I had to come off social media. Sure, sure, sure. So how do you manage that? I think exactly what you've said. I mean, coming off social media, I ended up in hospital uh, around the time I was being trolled, and uh, my psychiatrist ban me from social media she said right you're not going on social media and it was the best thing that I, I did probably because uh, I needed that break away from it and because I, I, I you know I make YouTube videos and I've made YouTube videos now for gosh about seven six seven years and when I started making YouTube videos I, I really don't think there was the same level of trolling that there is today I think now it's uh, again and again I really try and almost distance myself from I always get I always get very nervous when I get an email come through from YouTube and it says someone's commented because I just you just never know you never know people can be so mean and actually interestingly <laughs> I often I often get people attacking me for 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 my weight because my weight uh, fluctuates quite a lot medication I've got IBS as well so it often fluctuates and it's it's quite astonishing just how many people will comment on my, my the weight gain the weight loss you know it's it's rather than the, the the subject of what I'm talking about, the mental health. it's And that, that worries me, just how many people focus on the the, um, the aesthetic and, and what they're seeing, and, and, and they have to comment on that. And I just, yeah, I just so I, I have to stay, take a step back. I have to take a step back from it. I find that it's, it, especially given my history of eating disorders, mm. um, I, I, I still struggle if someone tells me that I look well, yeah, or if, oh, you, you, uh, yeah, you're you're looking well on it. Somebody said recently <laughs> after a show, and I, yeah. I, I, I think people we we are we are visual beings, yeah. so we're often compelled to comment on appearance. But when it's talking about something as deep as mental health, which is very by its very mm. nature about so much more than appearance. Yeah, absolutely, it, absolutely. Well, let's focus on young people because young people are obviously the kinds mm. of people who are going to be watching your your vlogs. Um, and you're also doing quite a lot with young people at the moment mm. in schools. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing in schools at the moment? Yeah, sure. So two years ago, uh, we launched a, a mental health workshop in schools, which is called Think Well, which goes around the country and goes into different schools. This year, which is really exciting, we're starting to work with primary schools because it's it's only really been secondary schools that we've been focusing on. But now there's there's a lot of demand in primary schools uh, because we unfortunately we're seeing younger and younger children suffering with their mental health. Universities as well now we're we're, we're trying to do a lot of work in because again, unfortunately, there's there's more and more mental health issues being presented uh, at, at universities and less and less support there. Which is very frustrating. So we're trying to do more at universities, parents as well. Actually, we 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 we're doing parents workshops now, which is really exciting because, again, you know, when I think about my parents, they they got nothing. They they had nothing. They had no idea how to support me when I was struggling. So bringing the parents in, getting the teachers involved, we're really trying to go in and look at a whole school approach, because so often, <laughs> so often in the past few years, a school will contact us and will say, right, well, we've got a slot for you. On the 20th of November at 2 p.m., can you come in and talk for, for 40 minutes and then that's it? And we actually now say, well, actually, no, because you can't just go in and just... I, I went into one school. I won't, I won't name them, but I went into one school a few months ago and I literally went in and they were like, we're really rushed today and we, we just need you to do a 20-minute slot, just tell your whole story, and then they've got to go straight back to class. I just felt so uncomfortable. I did it. I did it. And then 
and then and then the teacher said right okay all back to class and you could see their faces they were like they they you know they had questions they 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 wanted to ask things there there was things going on for them in their mind and i just felt awful because i was like well, they're just they're now going to go off to a, to a maths lesson and a science lesson and be expected to just for that all to just sink in and then not have anything so really we're trying to focus on on looking at a whole school approach and not just a one off day in the calendar uh, there's one school that we we always get asked to do which is a they do a whole school day they do domestic violence they do racism they do mental health they do they basically they pack <laughs> everything into one school day and then it's right you're done for the year wow and then I just can't. I can't. It's just, it's, 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 it's. You need to sleep for a month after. Right, that. exactly. I just, I can't imagine how that affects young people and teachers as well. So, the other thing that we're trying to really focus on is getting mental health embedded into the curriculum. You know, what, what, why don't we talk about mental health within different subjects like history? There's so many people in history that, that, that had mental health issues. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Florence Nightingale, Winston Churchill. Why, why don't we talk about that within the subject or in science? You know, why don't we learn about like the brain or the, bra- the way the brain works or in English? Again, there's so many kind of so many times in English when we, we can bring up the subject of mental health. And I remember distinctly when I was well, I was in year nine, uh, we studied Romeo and Juliet. And at the end of Romeo and Juliet, you know, they, they both take their own lives. And I remember just sitting there shocked. I was just completely stunned. And, and my teacher just sort of brushed over it and said, right, OK, end of the play. So your essay. And I was just I just I just couldn't comprehend. We were just going to just not address this. So that's, I think, one of our big aims is to get mental health really sort of embedded into into the curriculum. And um, we're actually launching a, a new kind of project called Beyond Shame, Beyond Stigma, which is all about trying to get uh, more support, more, more help into schools, uh, into, into the youth justice system, into universities, because there's just not enough support. We, we know that for young people. Next up on the Positive Mental Attitude podcast, I am back on that bus with the lovely Alex Cheney. Now, you heard from Alex in last week's episode. Alex has acute anxiety disorder and we've known each other on Twitter for a few years, but it's only been this year that he and I have actually started meeting face to face. This is partly due to his condition, his anxiety disorder, and I wanted to find out more. So I decided to um, drag him onto a bus, uh, but the bus is so lovely uh, that he really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I, I enjoyed it too, partly because the bus Buses are from our lovely sponsor, Stagecoach. So thank you very much, Stagecoach. And to Alex, here's a little extract from that really rather eye-opening conversation. I still struggle with explaining to people when I say I can't, I couldn't leave the house. Because yeah. there's been times in my life when I couldn't leave the house. Like, mm. Some people would say that that's just weak. Or you, you, you just have to pull your socks up and get over it and get mm. out. of just, just walk out the door. What do you mean you can't yeah. get out the door? Mm. Just do it. How how would you explain how you felt then? Why you couldn't? Why couldn't you leave the house? I think it was both physical and mental that I just felt like I couldn't do anything. I just wanted to curl up and ball and pretend the world wasn't happening. Really, it was uh, just so like horrific really it was I often feel that in those situations everywhere in my mind is a dark corner every train of thought leads me to an an enemy in my own mind so the more stimulation I get the more things I do the more opportunities there are for me to to fail more opportunities that there are for me to have these spiky thoughts um, that hurt like it, it's the, the thoughts the thoughts hurt yeah and there's too many of them and they're spiraling <laughs> yeah. and yes there's too many tabs open but it's not just that it's it's that that they're all playing horror movies you know in your mind mm-hmm. is, is that how it felt for yeah, you absolutely it was just to even think of it or even think of the concept of it just brought on panic attacks and like I had even at her, I'd like regular panic attacks throughout sort of my whole childhood and adolescence and at uni but the severity of them were at that point were so bad like I could I was shaking so much that I couldn't stop myself like it was 
I was just literally, I was in bed, I was rocking the bed, I was shaking so much, and it was quite constantly like that for, I'd say, a period of three years, um, where I was at points where, yeah, the, the shaking, the shaking was the worst, but obviously, like, loads of panic attack side effects, like, heart palpitation, like, like just nausea and everything like that but yeah the shaking was just the most horrific because it was totally uncontrollable and no matter how much I focused on trying to stop them I couldn't. That sounds really difficult. I am um, so I'm, I'm slightly lost in what you're saying so absorbed by it because last night I had I had uh, I don't know if I said panic attack is the right word, crying fit, um, where I couldn't sleep. I could not stop crying, like fat tears, like really fat tears. Mm. And the heart, the heart palpitations are scary when that happens. If, if, if I hadn't been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, I would honestly be convinced I was dying at that point. Mm. And sometimes I do think, what, what's <laughs> happening? My, my heart's going to leap out of my chest. I'm. I, I can't control my breathing. I, I physically can't breathe. Mm. That, this is about positive mental attitude. Mm. What things helped you? What what got you from not being able to leave the house and in that state? Yeah. Because when I can't breathe, one of the simplest things I found was was a breathing gif. Mm. Um, there's an amazing breathing gif if you if you Google anxiety uh, anxiety disorder breathing gif. Um, this is gorgeous. Have you seen it? There's kind of a um, there's loads of them out there, but there's one that it's a shape that grows like a it grows from a, a line on the ground to a triangle to a square to a god a hexagon and then a pen pentagon. I'm getting <laughs> probably getting those names of those shapes wrong, and then it and then it goes back in again and it says just breathe breathe along with this this shape and it grows and then it expands and then it it contracts and it expands and if I do that for about a minute I yeah. start to feel like I can think mm -hmm. I can I can have space around my thoughts a little bit yeah what's what things did you find helped you my dog was the main factor um, dogs are amazing yeah, they're amazing she just like cuddle with her that's why you follow uh, me on Twitter <laughs> I share so many pictures of dogs on Twitter <laughs> So yeah. what, what was your dog called? Uh, she's Cass called Cassie. And is she still around now? Yeah, oh, she's okay. getting old though. She's 11 and yeah, a bit frail. But How does she help you? Just being there and just someone who doesn't care <laughs> about anything and just, yeah. Is it stroking her because being able to have something tactile? Yeah, tactile, especially with autism, tactile, I mean, something tactile and yeah, the softness of her fur and yeah. And having a companion, yeah. a, a, a living being that depends on you. Yeah. Um, I love dogs. I love them so much. I love the fact that they, yeah, are something soft to stroke to calm me down. Something that forces me to go for a walk. Mm. Uh, yeah. For, forces me to take time to to breathe and have space to think. Mm. Yeah. It, I mean, even at my worst, I could still walk her to the end of the road and back. And, and that's an achievement on, yeah. a, on a day when your anxiety disorder is really bad. Yeah. What's your feeling on the way it's portrayed in the media? I think it's very much stigmatised still. I think, like, casual language, like, nutter, psycho, other examples, crazy, are used to insinuate mental illness. And it's really bad it shames people it has a negative impact it stops people seeking treatment because of fear through them being seen that way and yeah i think it's it's dangerous i would love to see it change i would love to see how um i'd love to see attitudes and portrayals and headlines um being a bit more uh, insightful um, soap operas they, they've done quite well yeah uh, 
both EastEnders and Coronation Street have done really good storylines in the past couple of years. On Do you think they, they have the power to help people understand mental illness more? Yeah, I think definitely. They've gone into quite depth in, in depth on it and not just sort of got over the storyline and just ignored it, like never happened. They've actually gone back to it and sort of like, like that it reappeared, like um, people have relapses and things like that. And I think that's like a more realistic portrayal of it. And I think that's definitely helps people relate and understand and yeah. They reach a lot of people as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Alex, you've been absolutely sensational. I um, hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure and yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now it's time for solution of the episode where we read out something our Twitter followers have said to me that has helped them out the most in their mental health journey. So uh, thank you all sincerely for helping me create this content because I really do appreciate not having to do it myself. Uh, A very common one this episode, a lot of people said on social media that a really positive thing to help your mental health is pets Hmm. hanging out with pets we spoke about uh dogs briefly earlier me and johnny uh and apparently rethink say rethink mental illness say officially that pets can be a great source of comfort companionship and motivation for their owners for example walking a dog often leads to conversations with other dog owners and this helps owners to stay socially connected and less withdrawn people who have more social relationships and friendships tend to be mentally healthier Pets can also have calming effects on their owner. Just by stroking, sitting next to or playing with a pet can give owners a chance to relax and calm their minds. Have you ever had a pet, Johnny? No, I'm really... No, but I'm desperate. I'm desperate for for, for a dog. And when you were just saying all that then, I was just like, oh, my God, I really want a dog so much. Maybe the universe is telling you now's the time. I could co-own it with you because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not allowed a dog in the flat that I'm living in. But yeah, I, see, I'm not either. But I dog sit other people's dogs. Do you really? So I go around to their house when they go Amazing. on holiday. Amazing, really? It's really good. Oh. Highly recommend that. I read a book, actually, called um, A Friend Like Henry. Have you, have you heard of that? I've not heard of it. Tell me about it. Well, it's it's all about a young boy with autism who gets it's a true story and he, and he gets this his parents are um, really struggling, really struggling. He, things are really difficult at home and he gets this dog, Henry, and it just transforms his life and the way that you it's a beautiful book and um the way it transforms his life was just extraordinary. It really was extraordinary. I knew that dogs, you know, they they have this healing nature, but through this book I I really got to see how healing uh, pets can be and I just I really want I, I really want a dog but yeah it's hard because uh, I'm not allowed one at home and uh, travelling I travel quite a lot so it, it wouldn't be fair on the dog but um, same as me yeah but I hear that um, that there's now dogs being almost prescribed for people yeah. with acute anxiety or acute depression yeah. and um, I definitely if, I love hanging out with dogs because they, they calm you down yeah, they, they do. soothe you they really and do. they don't care how depressed exactly. I am exactly. or, or how, whether I've gained any weight or lost exactly. any weight they just love me but just Johnny, I asked you before you came on uh, on the podcast uh, what your solutions uh, or solution you can't cure mental illness, mm. but perhaps things that have helped you the most with your mental health journey. Uh, and you said it's a combination of things, including medication, therapy, and mindfulness. Mm. Learning about self compassion, and apparently mm. you're having compassion focused therapy at the yep. moment, yep. has been extremely useful to you. And music, hiking, and detoxing <laughs> from technology at regular points is also crucial. Yeah. Now, Rethink Mental Illness have said, officially, uh, music, listening to music or playing an instrument can help manage stress, provide a way to relax and be in the moment. Music therapy is a specialist uh, use of music that aims to facilitate physical and emotional well-being. And you said that uh, different types of therapies have helped you in the past. And they say that CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, is based on the concept that your thoughts, feelings, physical sensations and actions are interconnected and that negative thoughts and feelings can trap you in a vicious cycle. You're shown how to change these negative patterns to improve the way you feel. Unlike some other talking treatments, CBT deals with your current problems rather than focusing on issues from your past. This may be helpful for some, but there are lots of different kinds of talking therapies, including psychotherapy and compassion-based therapy. What is compassion-based therapy? So, yeah, I've been having that for couple of years now and it's really focusing on well essentially yeah self-compassion uh, compassion for other people and as an example something will come up in therapy and 
we'll have different chairs within the room and my therapist will say, right, so if you sit in the chair of the self-critic and then I'll sit in the chair of the self-critic and I'll almost speak from the place of the self-critic and try and really understand maybe what's going on with a certain issue, with something that's come up. And then I'll go to the seat where I'm sitting in the chair of the uh, self-compassionate uh, side of me. And then I speak from that. And, and that's hard. It's easier to talk from the self-critic place. But, you know, I try and tap into that 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 self-compassion that I have. And it, it does, it makes a difference to kind of talk from that place. And it's it just really, it's trying to get really deep into, because um, we've all got it in there, I think, that, that compassion, that self-compassion. But often the self-critic is much more dominant. So it's it's really trying to build up um, that 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 reserve of, of self-compassion and it's it's uh it's been really great it's been really great for me yeah really interesting what is the simplest thing that anyone can do to help their mental health just one very simple thing have an outlet have an outlet yeah have any whatever it is doesn't matter what it is uh whether it's 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 knitting or or, or poetry or free running whatever it is have an outlet um what one bit of advice would you give somebody if they want to talk to their doctor about their mental health so um there's a really useful tool online, which is called DocReady. And DocReady uh, website, and uh, you go onto it, and basically it's a form. It's a form you can fill in. Um, you know, what, what symptoms you've been having, and basically, yeah, different sections you can fill in, and you can actually print it off and just give it to your doctor, because it's hard. It's hard, that first appointment, when you when you go to talk to your doctor. But if you have this form, it's all there, written down, and you can you can give it to the doctor, and it just makes it much easier to have that, that conversation. Brilliant. Uh, and finally, final quick fire question. Uh, do you like talking about mental illness? Um, I do. As long as it's, yeah, as long as it's in a positive, positive way. I do. I do. Yeah. So this hasn't been too grueling for no, you? Oh, no, and it's been great. It's okay. been great. Yeah. And I promise I'm, I'm going to show you a video of a really cute puppy that I've seen okay. recently. <laughs> uh, facts about Johnny. If you want to know more about Johnny, I could tell you a couple more things about him. Uh, in 2019, Johnny's second book will be published, currently entitled The Book of Hope. It will be a collection of quotes, poems, illustrations and short stories by Johnny and others to inspire those struggling with their mental health or any of life's other adversities. Uh, he will soon be launching a charity foundation with the aim of allowing more mental health education and support to reach as many young people as possible. And he started making films in 2010 and has made documentaries for Channel 4 and BBC Three. Johnny, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, where would we do that? Could we find you on social media? Could we come knock on your door? Uh, yeah, uh, I might not be in, but uh, you can try. <laughs> uh, social media, uh, just Mr Johnny Benjamin on, on, online on Twitter. Also, my website, uh, johnnybenjamin.co.uk. Brilliant. And uh, please do tweet Johnny, uh, tweet me. Uh, do get in touch with your solutions, um, your hashtag positive solutions. And uh, find me at Juliet Burton with two T's and an E on Twitter and Juliet Burton, writer, performer on Facebook. Uh, and also, I think we're going to have a lovely little um, Twitter handle for this very podcast, which is at Cast Positive. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much for joining well, thank us. You. Thank I'm really you. grateful. Thank you. And if you want any further information about mental health conditions, after all, knowledge is power and power is fun, uh, then go to Rethink Mental Illness at www.rethink.org. This episode is sponsored by Stagecoach and I'm very grateful not only for their support of our work but also for overlooking that one time in 1999 when I bought a ticket from the stop near my house to town uh, but then I stayed on the bus an extra two stops and I went all the way to the station which should have cost an extra 20p. I will never forgive myself but thankfully they seem to have let it go so thank you very much the kind people of stagecoach uh, and also I did leave 20p on the floor of the head office the very next day before running like hell obviously now my favourite section of this of this episode is called Positive Thing uh, where I tell you some something positive that I've learned I'm going to leave this uh, for you to take away Johnny as well um, I don't just consider this my favourite part of the show but it's also my favourite bit of my entire life at the moment um, my life has had some brilliant moments um, one of which is currently being with Johnny right now uh, sadder long-term trends, uh, but moments, you know, moments like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> so uh, my favourite thing that I'm going to tell you this episode is, uh, did you know that the PDSA Dickin Medal is awarded to animals that have displayed conspicuous gallantry or devotion to duty while serving or associated with any branch of the armed forces or civil defence units? And my favourite animal that was ever awarded this was Pigeon USA 43SC6390, also known as G.I. Joe. Oh 
He, I know. Uh, he is credited with making the most outstanding flight by a USA Army pigeon in World War II. He made a 20-mile flight in the same number of minutes. That is 60 miles an hour flying. And it brought a message which saved the lives of at least 100 Allied soldiers from being bombed by their own planes. And the wow. bird was awarded the medal in August 1946. And if you want to Google G.I. Joe with his medal, the picture oh. of him wearing his medal is the most cute thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, right, thank you so much to our sponsors, Stagecoach, to Rethink Mental Illness, to our lovely guest, Johnny Benjamin. And thank you for listening. If you want other reasons to stay positive, why not listen to our other Positive Mental Attitude podcasts? And if you liked this, please do shout about it. Tell us, tell Johnny, tell me, tell the world. We want to make more of these podcasts, and the more people you tell, the more likely that will be. So go on, shout louder than I do when I'm singing in the shower. That's pretty damn loud. Now, until the next episode, stay mental and stay positive. Stay positive.